Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Liberty and the Law, the podcast series that examines the critical elements of a strong legal defense in criminal cases. Join respected attorney James Dore for this lively discussion on the rights of criminal defendants and the important role defense attorneys play in our legal system. One of the great things about the law, perhaps more so based on your level of interest or relation to the topic, is how it can go from simple to complex in very short order. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell, and on today's edition of Liberty and the Law, we're going to do just that in our 15 minutes of conversation with Lavelle Law Attorney James Dore. Uh, As a very experienced criminal defense attorney, James knows full well the nuances of the law and uh, how things can uh, take off in different directions from a from a simple beginning, and I anticipate he'll shed some light on our topic today, which I will share with you in just a minute. But first, good afternoon, James. Uh, great to talk to you again as we continue our conversations here on Liberty and the Law. Hey, Jim. It's great to be back on. I enjoyed your introduction there, and I'm wondering how fast we can get to the complex from the simple in this show. <laughs> well, our focus is going to be on areas, areas or zones of protection around certain geographic locations or, or structures even, such as schools and, and parks. Uh, now, any of us who live in a, in a residential neighborhood are familiar with you know, signs designating school zones, let's say, for purposes of, of traffic laws. Um, you and I have discussed a number of different traffic laws and their implications in our, in our many discussions. But I guess the first point of discussion for today is pretty simple. If you are in the immediate vicinity of a school, uh, don't speed. I mean, it, it seems like the law is just pretty clear in, in making that the case, right? I think that's pretty clear, Jim. I think in the, the law in general and, and politicians being the creatures that they are are going to do what they can to, to attract votes. So protecting children, I think, is a popular thing among just about any any politician. You're you're hard to get uh, get yourself in trouble by being an advocate for children and safety. And uh, you know, it's one of those kind of areas where the legislature seems to have some agreement uh, in, in yeah. terms of uh, protecting children in zones. So. Um, there are many laws on the books involving children in places where children frequent. And, and common sense dictates that. We should all know that when we're driving. Now, here's the thing, though. The signs say generally, you know, 20 miles per hour in pretty big numerals. And then there's some finer print that often says when children are present. Now, I guess that's where I get my first question. Does that mean when children are present in school or when they're present outside where I can actually see them? When does that 20 mile an hour take place? Right, exactly. The that the um, actually that's that partially defined in the statute. So if you look at the sign, it'll say on school days when children are present. So school days were was defined by statute from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. on those Monday through Fridays, those typical school days. All right, um, when children are present, that's a little bit different because mm-hmm. um, under the statute, there's a, there's a certain I guess presumption that students will be. Uh, at least close to that roadway, even if they're not in sight. If they're in that building and it's during the school day, we can presume that they're that they're present. Now, I think you could defend a case by you know trying to point out that nobody was actually present, and a lot of times officers don't note that on a ticket that actually children were present. They would simply note the time of day and the speed, um, but they won't necessarily put anything down about uh, children being present. So that's. That is some some I guess fertile grounds to challenges if 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 you're looking for something other than just the pure speed. Yeah, and and when we talk about challenging, what are fines and penalties higher uh, for infractions around a school in in terms of these types of cases? 
Well, it's a, it's a petty offense, so they can fine you up to $1,000 uh, on the offense. Now, a first offense is uh, it'll be a $150 fine um, for a first offense. Now, the second offense, they can jump it up to a $300 fine minimum, plus another $50 donation to the school district. But the, the thing that really hurts is it, it would enter as a conviction on your driving record. So court supervision, which is a remedy we've discussed many times, which is a delayed dismissal of a, of a case, uh, say, or a, a judge orders court supervision for, say, uh, six months. Well, at the end of six months, uh, the case would be considered dismissed as long as you followed all the sentence um, mandates by the judge. So it's a delayed dismissal of the case. It's an important um, way to avoid convictions in Illinois, and it should be noted for speeding in a school zone, supervision is not available, so that would enter as a conviction on your driving record, points being assigned, eventually that could add up to a suspension license, although not per se on, on a um, speeding in a school zone offense. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and, and you've told us in the past that, you know, in Illinois there's that point system you mentioned for various violations, and at a certain level then, then you could lose your license for some period of time, and this is a contributing factor to that. Now let's, let's go take the conversation from And my advice the always school. on these, Jim, is you want, to avoid, you want to avoid points getting assessed along the route. You don't want it on your last ticket to say, hey, I want to avoid the, you know, the suspension. You want to work maintaining your clean driving record your whole life you want to focus on mm -hmm. you know trying to avoid convictions from being entered yeah don't let them build up yeah um exactly. right, so let, let's move from the school and focus on the route to school because there are school buses picking up or dropping off students and it would seem like the law is pretty clear um we all know it if, if there's a bus there's red lights are flashing and that stop sign arm is extended from the bus traffic in all directions should stop and wait is that is that pretty much where the law lands on that Definitely, definitely, especially on a two-lane or one-way street, um, mm -hmm. both traffic in both directions has to stop. And you mentioned two lanes. So if I'm uh, in, in you know, the suburbs here, there's some four-lane streets that have residences on them, so the bus is going to stop there. So if I'm on the opposite side on that four-lane, do I still need to stop? That's the thing. Under the statute, if there's four or more lanes and they have two going in each direction, okay, at that point, you're not required to stop on the other side. Now, me, I, I, I tend to end up stopping in those situations too. I, you know, I was looking at like if I'm watched, I just rather not be the one going past the school bus. I'm going to slow it down. I'm going to stop as I get close, and it usually doesn't take that much time, and it's worth that added little bit of safety. But as far as the elements of the offense, and when you have the, the four lanes and two in each direction. The opposite side does not have that obligation to stop. And, and what's the penalty you face if, if, in fact, there's a violation associated with a school bus that stopped? Well, here, here's where it gets more serious from the last incident. We talked about speeding in the school zone where supervision is not available, but also it does not carry the penalty of a suspension, suspended license. Here, passing a school bus, they can get your license. So it can lead to a conviction, can lead to a suspension. Um, First time, uh, first time conviction would be a three-month suspension of your driving privileges, uh, plus a $150 fine plus costs. So that's a pretty serious penalty. Um, you're not talking just just some points on your record that can lead to a suspension. This is straight away. You get convicted, your license gets suspended. That's pretty. That's a pretty severe yeah. remedy under the code. And it should also point it out if you get two of these within five years of the first, right? You get a second within five years of the first one. 
you're looking at a one-year suspension of your driving privileges. So if you're near schools or near mm-hmm. near areas where there's a lot of school buses, you got to be really, really careful. Just you know, it's not only just a smart policy, but it's also to avoid these kind of penalties. Um, not worth passing buses or schools or anything like that. Yeah. All right. So let's let's turn into a different area here. We're talking to James James Dore on Liberty and Law. Um, and as I've said in the past, you can always um, find past podcasts and, and author or articles authored by James um, at LavelleLaw.com. And if, if you haven't been there recently, definitely go because they've upgraded the site. A lot more content there. You can sort through it. So uh, LavelleLaw.com is is uh, even richer than it had been in the past. But so we're I agree, about- Jim. Our, our site now is is great. I think it's worth seeing. It's it put a lot of effort into it, and it shows. Yeah, yeah, I really like it now, and I think people are finding great value there. But um, I want to get into this other thing now. We talked about driving offenses, but there's also a whole level of offenses related to drug offenses, uh, uh, certain criminal activity related to drugs around a school. Now, does that law cover possession or distribution or both? What are the parameters we're talking about there? Well, there's some there's some enhanced for for penalties enhanced penalties for um, possession with intent to deliver. Or delivery, so they're looking at the the uh, you know drug dealing around the schools with the statute mm-hmm. we're talking about, but there's also penalties where say student is is caught with with the drugs in school or trying to sell drugs in school, they can face felony charges for that, uh, as well as expulsion from school. So there's different, um, you know, as far as possession, there's different different rules on that. Um, I know we were we were set to talk about this drug deal that took place um, within a certain uh, distance of the school. So as, mm-hmm. as far as our zones, we're talking about, um, you know, within a thousand feet of the school, there's this extended zone to uh, protect children from, you know, would-be drug dealers. Yeah. So, all right, so let's. I'm going to try and go through this in a staggered approach here, just to build what uh, what I'm trying to get to. And I, I know we're getting tight on time, but so we talked about in a driving situation, it's when schools in session, kids are present. Is a drug offense handled the same way? Like, if it, is it just as severe at 2 a.m. when there's nobody in school as it would be at 2 in the afternoon? That, that's exactly right, Jim. In fact, uh, one of the cases that, that we discussed, the People versus Tolliver, this involved mm-hmm. a Chicago public school that was closed, not just closed for the day or closed for a weekend or summer break. It was shut down. It was shuttered in a budget cut. So the school is, was completely shut down, not operating as a school any longer. No plans to ever open again. And the yeah. case involved this, this kind of drug deal that took place within, you know, 1,000 feet of that school. And uh-huh. uh, the defendant got his, you know, this is a, a, a sentencing enhancement. So you're looking at a Class X enhancement from, I think it was a Class 4 felony he would have been charged with. But it jumps mm-hmm. it up. You're looking at the you know, six-year minimum, six to 30-year sentence range and possibly up to 60 if somebody has some priors or other aggravating factors. So it's a major penalty to, to take place near the school. Um, yeah, and that comparison you're talking about is, is from being caught selling drugs, it moves to a class X if they're selling drugs within the 1,000 feet of the school. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Exactly, exactly. Okay. And this, and the, like we talked about in this case, 1,000 feet of a school that's no longer school. And but it's still, and the 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 reasoning the court used in that case is that schools attract children at different times of days, whether or not they're in session. Um, it's a it's a property known as a school where children tend to congregate. So there's playgrounds, 
there's, there's other areas associated with the school. So they, they, the, the majority viewed that as this, the legislature intended to protect children in and around schools. Whether or not it's still a school, they thought was irrelevant. They, they, they thought that the protection extended on that basis. And it, it was an interesting case. Again, People versus Tolliver is the uh, case that people want to look it up. And what you're talking about now is, is the appellate court finding, correctly? They, there, there was a guilty verdict both for uh, selling, possession and selling and doing so within the proximity of the school. And I think the appeal was based on, as you said, it not being a school. They, they said, look, you know, guilty, yes, of, of selling, but we're just saying it should be reduced from the Class X because – it was not an open school, and what was it a unanimous decision, or how did the appellate court respond to that? No, there was a dissent in there, and it was a quite a good dissent. And uh, you know, they pointed out simple, you know, a couple of things like there's inconsistencies here. Um, it's 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 you know, once the school shut down, it ceases to be a school any longer. Uh, and they brought out that you know, say Navy Pier, for example, it's not necessarily a, a naval pier any longer. Um, and at mm-hmm. one point, it had some had a uh, you know a couple of years at, at the University of Illinois, I think, functioned out of there. Uh, or had some classes there. So, you know, by their by the majority's reasoning, that would extend the protection would extend the Navy Pier because it at one time had a school. Now, you know, the majority didn't agree with that, but the, I think the dissent does point out some some key factors in the decision. Um, you know, and things to look at in, in interpreting statutes like this. Um, mm-hmm. It should also be pointed out that there was um, stipulations at the trial level to the fact that it was a school. They said that it was within a thousand feet of a school, so it wasn't necessarily litigated as it should have been at the trial level. That should have been something that was pointed out because they really just brought in a couple of Chicago police officers and say, "Oh yeah, everybody knows that that's the you know X Y Z school." But they didn't necessarily bring in anybody from the school system to, to prove it was a school. So there were some proof um, problems there, and I think you know, a little too quick to stipulate at the at the trial level. But you know, it's easy to say, you know, quarterback it on a Monday. You know, I'm not faulting the attorneys. Yeah. It just turned out to be an appellate issue that may not have been recognized at the uh, at the trial level. Well, and as I mentioned at the beginning, that's where the complexity comes in, and that's why we're always glad to have James Dore with us to kind of walk us through some of these cases and the laws themselves and provide some guidance. So uh, I will thank him and let him get back to work. We'll look forward to talking to him again next month on Liberty and the Law. And uh, let me again guide you over to LavelleLaw.com as a great resource to find articles and podcasts on topics like this and uh, uh, information on how to reach James Dore as well. And I'll share the number with you right now, 847-705-7555. And I certainly appreciate you listening and look forward to having you join us for a future conversation here on Liberty and the Law.